You're listening to the Centenary Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about how to join us for any of our worship gatherings at our 2800 or Park campuses, visit our website at lexchurch.com. We hope the Holy Spirit will use this message to help further and strengthen your faith in Jesus. Friends, how are we? Awesome. Thanks, man. Would you stand with me for the scripture reading today? It's dark outside, and I feel like maybe we could all use a, at least I could use it, getting the stand-up opportunity. Um, Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and wise slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give the other slaves their allowance of food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all of his possessions. But if the wicked slave says to himself, my master is delayed and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You maybe see it. Kind of a heavy one, right? All right. So we are kicking off a series on parables, particularly about parables that are focused on the second coming of Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me, and a new guy steps onto the stage and starts talking about the second coming of Jesus, you might tense up a little bit. Um, if you came up in an upbringing where, you know, people would come around and that's, you know, proclaim certain things and it's kind of like, eh, it's a little scary, I get it. Um, but if you're not familiar with me, I've been around here for a while. I've been interning for about a year actually now, just over at the main campus. And um, we're kicking off this series because we really think that this is something that's important to talk about. Uh, A lot of churches kind of err on either side of talking about this particular subject like it's the only thing in the Bible or not talking about it at all. And this is a really important thing to start to think about and focus on and unpack. Um, Because whether we like it or not, there's a lot of material out there in the world about the second coming of Jesus. And a lot of it can be misguiding. And a lot of it can be really scary. And so it's good for us to start talking about some of these things. Um, One of the things that I think is really helpful to understand is first addressing the idea of what is a parable. A parable is a teaching style that was really popular in Jesus's time. And it builds off of creating a narrative. Um, Teaching styles in the West, if we grew up here, are usually about retaining and memorizing information. That the person who knows the most is the person who's got the facts in their head and can regurgitate them onto the page. But the teaching style of a parable really tries to import wisdom into the person. The ability to find themselves in the story and understand what their role is in the story that the teacher is teaching. And when we see parables in the Bible, sometimes it can be easy to kind of just lift them up as if they are just individual stories that don't have any bearing. 
but parables come in a context just like any other passage. The series of parables that concludes Jesus' teaching ministry in the Gospel of Matthew come right after he leaves the temple for the last time in this kind of really pivotal sequence where Jesus denounces the ministry of the Pharisees in chapter 23 and goes up to this mountainside and laments over the city of Jerusalem and then his disciples come up to him on a mountain and say, tell us more. Tell us about what is going to happen before you're you're talking in these strange ways, Jesus. Teach us what you're trying to convey. And he goes into a series of stories. But understanding that those stories happen at that time is important, and we'll get to that a little bit later. The other thing that's important to understand is what are we thinking about when we think of this idea of Jesus' second coming? And a word that often comes to mind is like apocalypse or apocalyptic things, right? And those bring to mind for me like all sorts of fun TV shows or books or movies, but those often are about things coming to some cataclysmic end, right? It's kind of a scary term. In Greek, the word apocalypsis, which is where we get the word apocalypse, is a term that's used in weddings, which are not all that scary. It's literally the unveiling of the bride. It's the taking off of the veil and revealing what truth, what is underneath the veil. And so apocalyptic literature as a genre in scripture really tries to convey a sense of hope and peace that the truth is revealed, that we know the way that things are, not, that, not promoting a spirit of fear in this. And I think that despite all of the ways that we've been influenced to think about these types of stories, as Jesus teaches us through his parables this season, I think we will be instilled with a more deep sense of peace than we were before. At least that's the hope. So with that, let's look at Matthew 24, chapter, uh, verses 45 through 51. So... Um, This parable in particular brings to mind for me um, stories and memories of, you know, when the first time my parents started leaving me at home alone as a kid. And, you know, my mom would say like, hey, like, yeah, you're going to be home alone, but just make sure that X, Y, and Z chore is done before I get back. And me saying, "Mm mm-hmm, yep. And then when the garage door opens and I have been playing like Zelda for hours and I go, oh no, and I have to run and try to look like I'm doing something, right? Maybe you've been on the other side of that. Maybe you're the mom in the picture and, you know, hopefully you did not cut your kids in two. Um, But that would be bad. Um, But this is a theme that I think we're generally familiar with, even though the terminology can feel kind of removed from our time. This parable takes place in two scenes. Scene one, we have who is the person who's called the faithful and wise slave, whose master goes away. We don't know why, but they go away. And upon the master's arrival, they're found doing good work. They're taking care of the other people who are beneath them. They're giving them their food at their allotted time and they are all together doing the responsibilities that were set before them 
And the result of that is a blessing and more responsibility. They're set over all of the master's possessions. Scene two is the one that's a little scary. (laughs) The master returns to find a servant who has said, my master's been gone a long time. I bet I can get away with playing Zelda for a few hours. Well, you know, different. But um, they are found to be caught in the act of doing things that their master would not want them to do and are unequivocally and deeply punished. The example of the cutting thing is really one of the most reprehensible and severe punishments in the Roman Empire. Um, We often think of crucifixion as one of the Roman Empire's most severe and cruel punishments, and it really was terrible, but the Roman Empire was creative, and they thought of a lot of ways to punish people that they did not like, and that was one of them. So Jesus essentially lays this layer to say that the most severe punishment would be in order for this type of behavior. But when we think of this as a parable, the questions start to kind of bubble in our mind. Who are we in this story? And who is the master? And who are these different parts that are playing, right? And I think in order to understand that well, we have to remember where and when Jesus is telling this story. He's talking to his disciples privately. In Matthew 23, it specifically uses the word privately, which is a little odd. They're up on top of the Mount of Olives, secluded in a way from the crowds that Jesus is used to gathering. And this is kind of a meeting of insiders. These disciples have asked Jesus, tell us more, tell us what we need to know. And Jesus engages with them through these stories. And so when we think about Jesus's question at the beginning of this passage in verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise slave? The disciples have to be thinking in their mind, well, I want it to be me, right? The master then clearly takes the form of Jesus himself. And then the unfaithful or wicked slave is one that maybe is hard to initially pin down. But this is, I I think what Jesus is setting up here is in some ways, rather than two characters, two timelines. There's two possibilities. Are these disciples, these future leaders of the church, going to be faithful or will they be wicked? And the question still stands for us. What is our level of wisdom and faithfulness to the tasks that Jesus has set before us? But when we think about that, it brings to mind, at least for me, another question. We understand that this parable, among the list of others that Jesus talks about his second coming, often concludes with a remark on being ready. Jesus wants us to be ready for when he returns. But what does it look like to be ready? If you grew up like me, maybe you're thinking of the you know, radio ads in my grandpa's truck, um, thinking about like stores of freeze-dried food and things like that. 
But I think what Jesus is really getting at here is something else. And what clues us in is when he says, blessed is that slave whom this master will find at work when he arrives. That's a pretty familiar formula, especially if you're one of Jesus' disciples and you're up on a mountainside overlooking a beautiful view. Last time Jesus used phrases like that, he took his disciples up on a mountainside overlooking the beautiful Sea of Galilee and started to go into this beautiful speech, which we now know as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're following along with me, feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1, and going down from there. Jesus goes up on the mountainside with his disciples, and he begins to speak, teaching them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called God's children. Blessed are those who persecute you, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The sermon goes on, and I encourage you to read it, because I think what Matthew is trying to bring to mind as he's artfully writing the history of Jesus's ministry on earth and is that what does it look like for the wise and faithful servant to be at work? It looks like being those characteristics that Jesus laid out as exemplary character traits that will be found in his kingdom. The preparedness aspect is not about knowing a time or a place or an event or trying to construct some type of historical worldview that will make us ready for when Jesus comes back or predicted when Jesus comes back. Jesus is inviting us who are wise and faithful disciples to be at work in the world in the ways of making peace in the ways of mourning with those who mourn. And in all of that list of beatitudes and more. The wicked one then is compared to this word that we hear about a lot that is actually, it's really interesting. Jesus seems to bring this word into a new light into the way that we use it in English. It's hypocritical. Um, the Greek word is upokritos, and it's a, it's a term that's used um, among plays. So actors, literally people who wear masks and are pretenders, they're playing a character. And in this apocalyptic revelation, when we think about it in terms of a veil being lifted, when Jesus returns, the truth is found out. And those who have been faithful to the ways of following Jesus 
of being people who love their neighbor and who love their enemy and who make peace in the world and who hunger and thirst for righteousness just as much as they hunger and thirst for food and water, those people will be seen and recognized and elevated. On the contrary, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim all the rights and authorities of the master and who use it for their own selfish gain, to gain more resources for gluttony, for greed, and even use their power and privilege that they are given on earth to abuse other followers of Jesus and other people in the world, will be found for who they are. Their masks will be taken off and the truth will be understood. So, yes, this passage is a little scary. <laughs> I, um, it, it's a heavy one. But it's not here to promote fear. It's here to promote hope that when Jesus comes back, he brings justice and truth and revelation that's actually where we get the term revelation for why the book of the Bible is named that, that the truth will be revealed to be what it is. And those who are following Jesus and exhibiting the traits of his kingdom will be found and will be blessed. And that is a good thing, that justice will rule in God's kingdom when it comes. But the question does still stand. The question from the beginning of the parable. Who then will we be? We have a choice. There's two timelines. There's two possibilities. And Jesus lays it out pretty clearly. And we're invited in that question, not predicted to be one or the other, but I really believe invited to choose the path of faithfulness and wisdom, to be people who exhibit to the world and to each other the radical love that Jesus' kingdom brings to this earth. And of course, too, the author of Matthew would love for us to also think about evangelism. I think that a gospel that concludes with the idea of going and making disciples of all nations that is obviously included in the work that Matthew is talking about here and in the work that Jesus is asking us to be a part of. But we all know one of the most complex things about evangelism is the ways that Christians project images into the world that hurt people, that hurt our concepts of what the faith is, that hurt the concepts of what our type of love is, that harm what the church can be. And so these things work hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive from one another. And Jesus is inviting us, I think in some ways pleading with us, to not be like those who pretend, who wear masks, and go out into the world and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but behind that mask are abusive and wicked. Jesus is inviting us, pleading with us, to be people who follow his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, who exhibit to the world 
the beautiful love that Jesus inaugurates in his kingdom. Recognizing that we hope and long for the day when Jesus' kingdom will be the standard, the way that the world works. Thank you for your time. If you were encouraged by today's teaching, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. To listen to more content from Centenary Church, please visit our website at lexchurch.com slash podcast. Thanks again.